Hello and welcome to Flicking and Screaming. My name is JT Chipman, along with my co-host for today, Evan Fagundis. Hello. We are short a man this week, Jed Sprague. The Honorable Jed Sprague is in the midst of a moving process, uh, which is quite delightful. If you, it, it, I recommend following his personal Instagram account at Jed Sprague to see uh, various uh, uh, rugs and and couches being moved into it. Like, have, did you see the picture of his den? I did, yes. I've been kind of following the progress. It's really delightful. I'm a little bit jealous. So uh, we're, we're short of man this week, but he sends his love, of course. And in his absence, we are going to discuss the films of a great artist, a, a masculine presence, a, a truly criminally engaging presence. Uh, and that is the director, Michael Mann. Evan, that name, I think that name like really stirs up great feelings within me. You know, he's he's in that pantheon of, of directors where when I hear that name, I just my, sh- my shoulders perk up and I'm like, all right, I want to have a conversation. Yeah. So, like, what emotions do you kind of experience when you're watching a Michael Mann movie or you're thinking about a Michael Mann movie? What keeps you uh, coming back to the well here? That's a great question, because he is like that. He's a very there is something that that it brings out of you when you hear a, a Michael Mann movie is going to come on. I think one of the things uh, to start is just like thrills. Like mm-hmm. one of the best things about watching a movie is just being either whether it's stunned by something like a, an action set piece or just like plot mechanics um, or just like really loud crashes and bangs. I mean, he has a little bit of that and, and like he would probably hate to hear this, but he has a little bit of like what Michael Bay gets made fun of and stuff in his movies. <laughs> like his movies are extremely loud. They're extremely violent. Um, You know, they're never going to skimp on like the car being flipped over or something like Mm -hmm. that in a Michael Mann movie. It's always going to happen on screen and you're going to get the full effect. And that's kind of what I picture his movies being like the fullest of everything, the fullest of action, the fullest of love, the fullest of like passion from his characters. I don't know. That's just kind of automatically what I'm drawn to. I agree. Um, I think for me, a lot of it is craftsmanship. And I mean that Mm. both in the sense that Michael Mann is a great craftsman. He's very dedicated to uh, technical specifics, whether it's the lighting in in the nighttime of Los Angeles and he's using different cameras for that, or whether it's um, exactly how a character needs to be written when they're coming out of prison or something like that. You know, he's Mm going to get down to the specifics. And then he wants to tell stories about craftsmen and about craftspeople and about people who are so singularly dedicated and excelling at whatever it is they do. And oftentimes that's illegal or it's um, dabbling in the legal crime field, which is, mm-hmm. is quite compelling to me. Yeah. Um, but he's finding the best. He's he's like, hey, listen, I know what I'm doing and I'm going to write these characters like they are myself. Every director does this, but I think man does it maybe to an extreme in terms of the process and the care that he shows in his movies, he wants his characters to show that in in their craft as well. And it, mm-hmm. it, it's really impressive. Like, I watch his movies and I'm just kind of in shock and awe. Like, how did you do that both to man and to the character on screen? Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's very, in a weird way, it's a little bit inspirational. And not necessarily that I'm aspiring to a life of crime. I would never admit that on a public podcast. But uh, if, some, if some stuff comes out, then uh, they'll probably dig this up. So yeah. we're going to be talking be about his fault. top five movies this week. He's got quite a filmography. I mean, going mm-hmm. back to the like late 70s, early 80s is when he starts actually making movies. So it's it's really fun to kind of track his progress through. I think you can kind of draw a dividing line at Heat in terms of the front half and the back half, maybe even mm-hmm. 
I think because I think I think there's preheat and there's postheat, and then there's like heat kind of stands alone, right? Yeah. And then you have preheat and postheat. So I'm curious to see where the films that you choose fall on that dichotomy. Do you have like do you have an era of man that you prefer, or just a like a period or focus that you quite enjoy without without spoiling your list too much? You know, I am so split on his movies, and I was thinking a little bit about that because I think heat is a, is a good dividing line. Um, I am so split between the two and my list it kind of reflects that. Like I, it, it's a very distinct dividing line just in filmmaking style. And obviously we can get into that. A big part of it is like digital coming in and stuff. And you can even see like the beginnings of that in movies. Like he, it's, it looks different than his early movies do than his movies specifically from the eighties do. Um, but I like what he brings to both. I love how committed he is to both styles of filmmaking uh whether it's like those 80s early 90s or like the late 90s into into the 2000s like he has such a a singular like vision for what movies are supposed to look like like it seems very clear that he's like this is how you use this medium and you know i don't know if he doesn't respect like other filmmakers to a certain extent who don't do the stuff that he does but um i love how just specific his ideas are from both time periods and it's easy to draw like uh you know through lines um with both i agree i think he is flexible in terms of you know the kind of technical stuff that he's doing mm-hmm. or the um you know even just like the period of time that he's telling the story and he's not afraid to dabble in a period piece he's not afraid to try and conquer something a little bit more modern to various mm-hmm. uh, varying degrees of success but at the same time no matter what you know it's a michael mann movie um yeah and i it, it's just great that we you know, we have a lot of directors like this, but with Michael Mann, it's like there is something so specific about a Michael Mann movie. It doesn't yeah. it, it, in the way that he shoots a character uh, mm-hmm. when they're having a conversation, in the way that he shoots a gun that's reloading or a, yeah. a, a fucking tool on a tool bench. You know, everything is so it's just so man and it just bleeds into everything. And I, I, I find that quite intoxicating, quite frankly. You know, before we get into the top fives, I have some notes written down. Do, do you want to kind of bounce back and forth? What are the man motifs? Because you're right. Like, mm. we talk about Tarantino, Paul Thomas Anderson. Well, Wes Anderson, obviously, most most so. But sure. these directors who have, you know, very specific styles and, like, motifs that they come back to. Mm-hmm. And, like, when you watch a Tarantino, you're like, oh, this is a Tarantino. But I don't yeah. know if it's as specific as, like, Michael Mann is. Like, Michael Mann is doing things that are almost identical movie to movie, just in mm-hmm. different settings, let's say. So, like, do you have – do you want to kind of bounce back and forth and toss a couple of those things out there? Dude, nothing like a Michael Mann diner. Yes. yes. A diner. Loves like, a diner. <laughs> just um, everything's arranged on the table perfectly. Yep. The Whether their characters are facing each other or they're kind of, like, I guess – you know, Heat has multiple diners, but they're they're at a bar. They they kind they kind of switch it up how it works, but a diner inside dining area, delightful. Yeah. And like loves the background noise. I love how you <laughs> can always hear the other people in the diner, even though you're never distracted. But yeah. it feels like you're sitting in a diner. That's a great one. Um, guys making moves. Everyone mm. in Michael Mann's movies, no matter what era or anything, he's everyone's talking about making moves. And, and they don't just make their moves. They they specifically say the words, I have moves to make. I'm making moves. Everyone in a Michael Mann movie is like playing chess at all yeah. times. Yeah, yeah. He was making a move, man. I had to get it on. I had, I had to, get, to get, it get it on. Good, bad. He doesn't even delineate. The moves can yeah. be anything across the spectrum. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that relates to kind of a larger concept, which is just work and tasks. Yes. You know, the yes. moves are very um, Michael Mann is a very tactile filmmaker. He cares a lot about tools and trades and yep. exactly how you're going to perform a specific action. And there is there is one path to that action. There is only one path. You cannot delineate from it. You, you yes. must stay the course just as he stays the course. Mm hmm. I think um, just for my last one, just like just uh, life of crime. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and a specific life of crime. Again, it's it's whether it's a code of some kind or a specific lifestyle or rules that you adhere to or a group of people that you're trying to keep close. There is one way to do crime. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it even it, and even if you hold pretty close to that code of crime, there's a decent chance it, it might not work out for you in the end. Still in one of his movies, but it'll 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 get you a little ways. Yes, absolutely. That that's a great one. Um, he loves the ocean. He loves the color blue. Obviously, those go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one other one that the more you watch these movies back to back to back, he loves having a person in the foreground out of focus with the focus on the exterior, whether mm-hmm. it's it's a cityscape or like a landscape out in, in the wilderness. And then he loves to bring the camera around to bring a face into focus. Like I think it seems like that's such an obsession of his, like how the outside world, either the outside world through the eyes of the mm-hmm. characters who, who he's working with, or just how the outside world, like is such a sharp contrast to people and like how yeah. different that they really are. It's just such, he returns to it time and time and time again. The other day I, I was finally finishing the last time I rewatched and I was just like, it was like almost like a drinking game. I was like, when is he going to do the thing where he has the, the blurry face and then brings it around into focus and, and puts the trees, you know, out of focus, but just something that he always does. That's beautiful. I love that. You want to get into some top fives? Let's do it. I would love for you to lead us off here. Okay. I hear your number five so bad. Perfect. I'm very excited to do this. We haven't done a top five in a while. My number five is uh, 1981's Thief. Ooh, okay. This is this is higher on my list. This is okay. higher on my list. So Perfect. I, uh, we, should we come back to it when I go? Absolutely, yes. Beautiful, beautiful. I love that. All right, my number five. I'm going to come in hot right off the top. My number five is Miami Vice. Okay. So <laughs> the truth is this movie is like belong. Like I said, that there's before heat, after heat, and then heat. But Miami Vice just like is its own canon, is its own text. It's so ludicrous and like self-absorbed and beyond like how you would have a normal conversation, which I mean, man has every right to do that because he produced the original show in the 80s. He has every right to like take these characters, these tropes and ideas and settings and arcs and just fuck around. Mm-hmm. You know, Colin Farrell and Jamie Foxx, they're these Miami undercover guys. Fox is, I think, really good in this movie. I think he's just like kind of doing basic fox shit which is amazing mm-hmm. like he's one of the best actors in the world when he has that going but colin farrell he's just like weird in this movie <laughs> man control. he is like he's got this gruff thing with his voice it's almost like he's coughing or barking out his lines he's very clearly on some doing doing some drug stuff both i think in real life maybe i think he mm-hmm. may have been going through some stuff but hey for the performance i guess um i think so his relationship with gong lee Mm-hmm. I feel like it actually has a negative chemistry. Like it actually is like, you know how some magnets are attracted and some magnets repel it almost yeah. is like they're in that zone, but it's so interesting to watch. There's like a vacuum of chemistry and it's fun and it's weird. They're like, they're having sex and making out. And I don't believe any of it. There's a rigidity. There's like a going with the motion weirdness. That's like overhanging it all. But I just want to watch it again and again. 
Maybe it's the setting around them. Maybe it's the clothes they're wearing, the music that's playing, the drinks that they're having. I, I don't know, but I'm just I'm obsessed with it. Um, I love too his chemistry with Fox. They have this like unspoken language of understanding between them. There's this like man does this kind of neat trick where almost all of the planning that those two do happens off screen. Mm-hmm. So that when they're then meeting with FBI dudes or whatever, they just tell them exactly what's up or they're meeting with Jose Yero. They already know exactly their plan of attack and you get to experience it in real time along with Jose Yero. The, the one big exception, of course, is when they're planning the final drop and Fox says, what do you say, partner? Take it to the limit one more time. And then Farrell just nods and like, yes, <laughs> yes. That's how that's how shit gets done. Uh, Miami looks great in this. The digital camera work is amazing. It, it almost looks like found footagey in that last shootout. It like really rides that line, and it's got a lot of network TV stuff going on. But um, there is there is no peer for Miami Vice. Um, there is no comparison for better or for worse. I totally agree. It's so singular, and I think it's like you were saying, man is so technical, and this feels like one of maybe the only movies that at times doesn't get away from him, but has like a little bit of that like rough around the edges feel that you don't sure. get in lots of man movies. Yeah. And it makes so much sense because his characters are doing the exact same thing in the movie. Yeah. Like these guys are making plans, but they're also hopping over to Cuba at a, on a whim, you know, to yeah. go get a mojito. Like they, these guys have a code, but they're doing enough cocaine that the code can be broken sometimes. Cause you're just like that hyped, yeah, yeah. which I think is just, this movie is so perfect in that way. Um, and it just has some of the, some of the wildest shootouts you'll ever see too are in this movie. And uh, it's fucking nuts, dude. That's Euro's I, great too. I, I actually think yeah. he could have done a little bit more with him. He's really fucking scary. He is. Yeah. Yeah. I think if he would have been, you think he should have been more cocaine. Is that what you're trying to say? Like do more with him? Like, like, I think they could have just because he was there for a lot of exposition, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and I think they could have given him a couple scenes where he's just doing his own thing, like where he's actually like that first scene when he's like sizing up um, Fox and, and Farrell. Um, like, I think they could have done a little bit more of that, like him just like feeling people out and just scaring people without always leading to like, what's the next plan? Like, sure. what is Yero going to do that, like advances, you know, the uh, the um um, case or whatever, yeah. you know, yeah, but yeah. I feel that that makes yeah. sense. That he's makes great. Sense. He is, he's a lot he of fun. So good. Yeah. Number four, Evan. All right. So my number four, I'm going to guess we're going to have to wait. My number four is collateral. Is, again, we have to wait. I feel bad. I feel bad. I feel like I'm stealing your thunder, but you're no going to, I feel like we're going to start getting some overlap here. You're, you're going to get to, uh, get some glory in the fourth quarter. Um, so my number four is Manhunter. This might Ooh. be higher on your list. Yeah, it is. So oh actually God. let's talk about it. Cause that's my number three. Oh, perfect. Then let's just combine it. Um, Why don't you lead this one then? Okay. So Manhunter, let me pull up my notes here, is a 1986. um, And it's essentially following uh, Will Graham, uh, played by by William Peterson, Bill Peterson, um, who's an FBI criminal profiler. It's early in the days of, you know, the FBI profiling criminals and trying to figure out like habits and background that lead to serial killers. Um, and this movie is essentially about tracking down a serial killer who goes by the Tooth Fairy, uh, played by Tom Noonan, just magnificently played by Tom Noonan. Um, absolute freak. And he essentially has to, uh, um, uh, William Graham essentially has to enlist the help of um, Hannibal Lecter, played by Brian Cox, to you know help find any insights that he can into the Tooth Fairy's habits, where he might strike next. 
Um, it's a bit unclear, you know, as the FBI were at that time, what exactly they're looking to get out of Hannibal. You know, they're talking to him a lot. Will is definitely getting his brain turned into a pretzel by uh, by Lecter when he goes and visits him. Um, but they're doing it anyways because uh, these guys live by a code and they just can't hang it up. Even uh, Will Graham, who's uh, like a beautiful 35 year old man who's already retired because he got a, uh, you know, hurt so bad by Hannibal uh, bringing him in the first time is coming back to make sure that, um, you know, another serial killer doesn't doesn't get let loose. And this movie is like 100 uh, percent a procedural, but in the best way, like it, it's extremely exciting. There are definitely multiple scenes where they have stakeouts, even scenes where um, things happen, such as just a runner running you know running by mm. our, our main character get turned into these insane like action sequences um that kind of fizzle into nothing but all of those sequences leading up to that final final shootout slash attempted murder slash uh, conclusion are are just out of control and this movie is beautiful i mean it's so mm -hmm. gorgeously shot um it's so scary it's really dark there are so many scenes where like yeah. legitimately there's not that much light and mm -hmm. you're trying to kind of parse through darkness um and and that that you know they do some of the best work he does some of the best work i've ever seen with uh with you know real life scary figures like non-monster entities um in in hannibal with brian cox and tom noonan as the tooth yeah. fairy just absolutely like despicable disgusting nasty scary characters mm -hmm. yeah this movie is it's really the daddy of like so many things in our yeah. culture like right now like ever since then but like especially in this past i guess probably 15 or so years with uh, this heavy emphasis on serial killers yeah. And on the people that hunt the serial killers, I mean, quite literally, Mind Hunter, yeah, is it wouldn't exist. I mean, it wouldn't. It would still exist, but not in the way it does. It wouldn't right. be shot the way it is. It wouldn't focus on Groff's character the way it does if it wasn't mm -hmm. for Bill Pete in this in this movie and what mm -hmm. what he's doing. Um, I think this movie's a little bit overwhelming. Like an hour and fifteen in, and I'm exhausted. Yeah, like there is so much shit has happened. I mean, you go some places with Bill Pete with with Will Graham. Um, yeah, is like Hannibal Lecter knows exactly the darkness that's inside of him, and we see it continue to kind of unravel and just the place he has to go, and it weighs on you. Um, it never it never feels like I'm getting burnt out at the ending. It's just like it's just it's just heavy shit. Um, it is. But it's I, confusing I really, too. It's what you're. It's confusing a little bit too. Yeah, kind of like following a case. You know, there's a lot of like. They'll come to a conclusion, you know, Will will make some observation. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of have to remember that for later when he brings it up with like Dennis Farina's character who's also outstanding in this movie. Oh, yes. um, he'll bring something up about another family and they'll just kind of say the family's name. And you kind of have to remember yes. like that's the other family that he was staking out. You know, it's, there's just a lot of like bouncing around. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is maybe like. I mean, man loves to operate in spaces of policing and detective work mm -hmm. and kind of the the more rote side of it, I guess, and the more the gritty details. This might be the movie that's like the most focused and maybe the most flush, like fleshed out in some of the best work he's done. Like especially in that scene, it's it's a bit of an extended scene where they're trying to figure out like the note that the the tooth fairy has given Hannibal yes. Lecter and they've got yes. a communication going on and they're breaking it down and they're yep. looking at the handwriting, they're looking at the felt pen, they're looking at the newspaper, they're looking at the Bible and they're just all over the place. And I'm yeah. like, like, I don't know for sure how accurate that is. I mean, it's man, so I'm assuming it's pretty accurate. It's probably not that quick. Um, but it's like, 
it's so engaging mm-hmm. and it hits every corner. And again, the influence is, is, is so apparent. Um, I, 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 you know, I just, I hope that, uh, Bill Pete's family life worked out, you know, I hope that Will Graham, he, he's got that beach house with that beautiful blue lighting. Yeah. Uh, I'm a little worried about that little demon he's got inside of him, but, uh, I, I know wild conversation with his son in the supermarket really, really laid it on him. That is, yeah. that is the, uh, that's the divorce conversation, like times a lot getting from your dad yeah. you know uh yeah. <laughs> and they're still together so i mean, I mean no I, they I are out i meant like the gravity of like hey kid sit down we, sure. need to, we need to talk you know like that was a i've been permanently scarred both mentally and physically by serial killers um Correct. it's definitely a, a tough one to drop in the cereal aisle um and uh, good 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 do you think that do you think it was the cereal aisle too do you think that was michael mann having a little fun at whose expense because serial killer Oh, wow. See, dumb people like me. Probably. Yeah, smart people like you get to get in on the, on that joke. Yeah, I'm sure that's probably true. Um, I mean, it's one of the – I think it's the only scene he ever does like in a supermarket type setting, um, which it sounds specific, but like – I don't know. I can't think of another one. Even uh, – Top five Michael Mann supermarket scenes. Go. Yeah, exactly. We can talk – you know, there's another movie where they mention the supermarket, but it's always like I'm going there. But they mm. never actually show them go there. Um, also a very early example of Michael Mann's characters when, when they get into a relationship, AKA having sex with somebody, they are all in, Mm, they are all in from the get go. Dude, (laughs) is, uh, is public enemies on your list? My top five? Yeah. No, sir. I didn't, I I didn't think so. So I love public enemies. I I think I like it more than you probably, but like Christian Bale meet or not. not, I mean, Johnny Depp meets Marion Cotillard and he's like, Hey, you're mine now. You belong to me. Yeah, um, it's so it's very funny. There is a a certain possessiveness that a lot yeah. of the male characters have when it comes to women and um, like utter devotion that follows really quickly after uh, intercourse specifically. So absolutely <laughs> like in that. Manhunter with Tom Noonan, we already know he's a killer. And mm. the thing that we're most upset with him for before he actually commits a crime on screen is just being jealous. Because you're kind of like, dude, <laughs> chill out. You know, yeah. like you guys like hooked up one time. Like it's all right. Yeah. You know, it, it wasn't even like a kiss. Like you, you yeah. just saw yeah. it. It was the like dandruff or something on her yeah. shirt. Was getting reaching over. Yeah, yeah, you know, and it's just kind of like, whoa, fucking calm down, man. Relax, <laughs> you're being a little man. bit of a freak. I know you're. You're, you're like, gonna get yourself caught, man, if you do this. You yeah, know? exactly. Or, like, it's like you gotta you gotta be around for date number two. Exactly. Uh, okay, so right. that was Manhunter's your number three. My number yeah. four. My number yep. three is Thief. Do you want to talk about Thief first, or do you want me to go first? Go, start us up. Nice. All right, Thief, 1981, his first uh, uh, first feature-length film. It's got uh, three things going for it, right? I think this is the prettiest Michael Mann movie. Yep. It has that amazing, delightful 80s feel, especially at like, the nighttime scenes, like the streetlights and the puddles, and there's yeah. expensive cars and tires, cars. splashing reflections all around. It's uh, it's really the genesis to of man's focus on the tools. You got all these great insert shots of diamonds and screwdrivers and, and then sparks flying when you're drilling into a safe and shit. It's mm-hmm. it's absolutely gorgeous. So that's one. And then two, you pair it with this incredible score. Yeah. Tangerine Dream, just de- dreamy, delirious. It's one of the best scores ever made. I mean, I think I've talked about it before because we had the uh, – on the mailbag, I think it, it may have been Caden who asked us about, like, do you prefer a more orchestral instrumental score, mm-hmm. or like an original score by a band, you know, with more of a, with more of a different flair. And, like, if every movie sounded like Thief, 
I'm not going to be mad at that. Like, it, yeah. holy shit, this, it, it sounds so beautiful. And then, listen, that's two. And then three, James Conn. James Conn. I am a true blue kind of guy. It That whole, every line reading from James Conn when he is talking to a, God, why am I blanking on it? Um, Ruby, uh, Tuesday Well, that I mean. Yeah, Tuesday I was going to well. say it's a day of the week, and I couldn't remember. Yes, I was thinking Ruby Tuesdays for a second. Uh, Tuesday Well. <laughs> <laughs> um yes unbelievable line, line yeah. readings i am a straight arrow <laughs> he's like meeting willie nelson in the prison he's like he's like i met this woman it's like oh my god i think i don't even think he got on the date with her when he met willie nelson but i don't know thief is amazing um con is he's like loud when he needs to be he's quiet when he needs to be he is a singularly determined he is focused he's cool as shit i don't know if anyone's ever been cooler in a movie yeah He's got his $300 coats and his watches when he's like, he's like naming the carrots and Dude, shit. The 3.2 carat. He yeah. says it like three different times. <laughs> it's, he's, you know, it's, it's very materialistic and very vain, but it's like, he's a hard worker and he knows he's a hard yeah. worker and he wants everyone else to know he's a hard worker. And it's like, okay, I get it, Michael, man, you're a hard worker. But like, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a trifecta of amazing things. It's crazy this is number three on my list because it's like it's hairline degrees of separation between my top yeah. three, I would say. Um, I would I would highly recommend like getting the criterion of this because the, mm -hmm. the Blu-ray is just I mean, I, I, it's one of those movies I would like like to fall asleep to every night. You know, I wish I yeah. could like get projected onto my ceiling and just look at it and close my eyes to it every night. Yeah. Oh, totally agree. And now that we're talking about it, I almost feel wild that i have it at five um right. but it is like this movie comes and goes with james Kahn. like he he mm -hmm. charges through this movie like he's like a football player and it's yeah. funny because he looks like a football player he looks like he's wearing shoulder pads during half the movie because his shoulders yeah. are so wide and oh, like yeah. so high it, yeah. he like hardly has a neck but he's like in great shape, but his shoulders yeah. are like at ear level. It's crazy. Yeah. He's like a free um, safety, you know? He is, exactly. He's like a rangy free safety. Um, and he's so you're, – you're so right. He wants people to know how hard he's, he's working. And he has like this almost like huge dilemma between wanting people to know what he does and respect what he does and wanting to keep a low profile and be a lone wolf. Like right. he, he kind of wants both things to happen at the same time. He wants to respect that somebody who's like a perfect – tradesmen would have um mm -hmm. but he also wants to partly because of of the you know the life that he's in he wants to uh you know keep a low profile and almost have no one know what he's doing at all times right. so it's like this this constant back and forth um i'd be remiss if i didn't mention robert prosky uh in this movie mm -hmm. is unbelievable as leo who's like mm -hmm. the, the mobster who ends up employing him um a couple just wild scenes with Leo really laying it on the line for what he would do to yeah. uh, to Frank and his family if he was to be, you know, crossed and and not um not respected as uh, as a boss, I guess you could say. Um, Correct. But man, Correct. this movie is gorgeous. I'm I'm glad you said that. And that I just uh, I am a true blue kind of guy. Like that this movie is unbelievable. And I love. Um, I heard a little thing from Michael Mann. Like they were talking about. Um, Nobody in this movie talks uh, like everyone says exactly what they're saying. Like nobody uh, even says like can't or anything like that. They all say like cannot or yeah, I yeah, won't. Yeah. like I will not like and you can see it. And James Conn is the perfect type of actor to deliver that type of dialogue because of how deliberate each word is. 
He's like, mm-hmm. I am a true blue. You know, it's just like every word is its own thing. Yeah. It's heavy stress on each syllable, right? Yeah. It's, it's, I don't even know if you would describe that as like an accent as more of just, uh, I don't even know what you would call that. It's, it's funny. It's just, like, it's like a way of pronunciate. Obviously that's kind of what an accent is, but it's mm-hmm. like, you're right. It's like a way of speech more than yeah. it is like a regional accent. Yeah. It's, it's like a layer below. It's like mm-hmm. built into your accent is this pronunciation guide is this entire set of stresses and syllables and everything. It's crazy. Yeah. I think I think this movie is super romantic. I don't know it's what Michael Mann's romantic. most romantic movie is. And again, again this is a, this is perhaps not a traditional romance in any sense. There is a certain uh, demand that yeah. uh, that our boy is placing is placing on. T- like when they're in the diner and they're sharing like these these awful stories about prison and yeah. about drugs and about um, uh, abuse and and worry of of awful things happening. Yeah, you're like, oh my god, these people are supposed to be together. Yeah. I, I the reveal that she was like the girlfriend of some insane like drug lord is just mm-hmm. the funniest thing ever. I mean, funny in like a, of course she is. Like of yeah. course, like he. It's like of course Frank has the second sense to like know that she comes from like a similar sort of like fucked up background that he does. And uh, I mean, I love a couple that whole that whole first date that they have is unbelievable. I mean, them them in the car. This is his first date. They're like 10 minutes into it. He's like basically kidnapped her and just mm-hmm. he's like, let's get on with this big romance. Like, yeah. like this man has no patience. Like no one in Michael, the Michael Mann's, uh, you know, protagonists have, have created a plan and that plan needs to be followed to the minute, to the day, Correct. to the second, all the time. Like there is no deviation. There's no games to be played. There's no like second guessing. It's like, I know what the plan is. If you're not going to be in on the plan, then, like, get with the plan. You know, it's just like, this is happening. Mm -hmm. Also, I mean, first of all, shout out to Belushi. Yeah. Who is really funny in this movie, but is also, like... Like gives him just a good performance. Like he's he's mm-hmm. funny a couple times, but he's also just like a good partner, I think, for Frank. Yeah. And just clearly works well with him and has the understanding. Again, it's kind of like Miami Vice, where they just these guys get each other. Yeah. They know what they're about. They have uh, common goals and they're gonna work together to get it. They don't even need to like spell it exactly. Like they'll spell it out, but they won't they won't waste time. There's no unnecessary yeah. words, you know, being being wasted. It's like this is here. Oh, the money is here. They're on the phone. You know, he Frank's in the bar. Yep. And he's calling him on the phone because he has his own bar phone, I guess. Or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Does he own that bar? I, think I he thought does. he owned the – I was confused too. I'm like, does he own this? Because he went and blew it up after. I'm like, really? Just for the he's, phone? He's like, got some stake in it. Maybe he's like a shadow guy in it or something. I don't yeah. know. It's it's got kind a of a front. In it. Maybe maybe yeah. it's money laundering stuff because I'm sure that's – he's got to be money laundering yeah. several places. Yeah, because he just wants cash all the time. I'm like, what are you mm-hmm. doing with 800K in cash in 1981, uh, James Conn? <laughs> Not shopping malls. Yeah, anything but that. Um, Uh, You're right. They're they're really having a hell of a time frolicking on the beach too uh, together. Yeah, Yeah. it's so beautiful. And like they're both very attractive and Mm -hmm. the scenery around them is attractive, music attractive. It's like this is a fucked up but happy couple. Like this is the way it is supposed to be. This is a amalgamation of romance uh, that that works. And Mm -hmm. it's, I think, beautiful. And maybe not something I'm going to uh, try and model my own relationships after. Right. Uh, you know, I might show this movie to someone and be like, hey, you take pieces. Yeah, you take pieces. The good yeah, part. There's a couple of things in there. Um, you, know. you know, last thing I wanted to mention with this movie and something that I think 
maybe man doesn't quite get enough credit for is like like you're saying he's incredibly romantic and like he really can hit those moments like sometimes it does feel a little bit like just in the screenwriting it feels a little bit like like quick and i know that's just because of how his characters operate but sometimes you are like really like we're that invested after the first date mm-hmm. but he hits these moments that actually make you believe it. Like, I think my favorite line reading of the whole movie is in the diner scene when Frank is, uh, you know, James Conn is telling his story in prison and he's talking about the guys who are going to come and, you know, take him for, uh, for like the gang rape in prison. Yeah. And he's yeah. like, yeah, I heard I was next. Uh, I did not know what to do. I was scared. Like, I love the way he's just like, because yeah. we're talking a lot about, you know, James Conn goes up really well. And like, yeah. he's such a ham, you know, he kind of mm-hmm. hams it up. Same thing that he does in Godfather, you know, bada bing. Like, he's always <laughs> willing to go to that next level. Hey, college boy. Hey, college boy. Good um, But I love when just the way he like looks at her and like, it's such a matter of fact, but also like revealing and emotional and um, what's the word? Like vulnerable way mm-hmm. of just being like i was scared like how many times you wouldn't watch that guy for the first hour of the movie and think he's ever told anyone in his life or admitted to anyone he he's been scared ever yeah. and here he is 100%. on the first date with this woman basically letting her in on everything like this is why i am the way i am just in that like one line you know talking about this horrific experience that he went through he also basically creates the whole like pinterest mood board ecosystem <laughs> Yeah. Which I don't know how I don't know if that's like still as popular as it was like when I was in like high school. Right, I like that was kind of everywhere. But uh, yeah, and he just. It it, but it, I think it is interesting though that he does have this. He has a physical representation of the things that he is trying to achieve. Yeah, and he he keeps it with him. It is very important to his person and to his journey that he has mapped it out. He has this yeah. plan. He's going to stick with it, and until you know, spoiler alert, until the very end. Right. Um, and what a fucking ending it's when he when he like. I don't know. He like flings the clip out of his pistol and like throws the second clip in and it's like in slow motion. And he's got, yes. I think that might be the coolest. Like I've never seen, I still, I've never seen anyone load and unload a gun like that in a movie. And I think it's the coolest fucking shit in the world. I totally agree. It is awesome. That whole final scene sequence is unbelievable. It is so eighties with mm-hmm. like, so eighties. And I feel like it's believable. There's like a million shots that go off at this house. Not one neighbor comes outside. Not <laughs> no one, no one reacts at all. First of all, Robert Prosky, who's this big badass like mafia dude, is hanging out with his friend, like yeah. in, in their, you know, in their their afterwear or whatever. Like they got the shirts untucked and stuff. His yeah. friend gets up and says, "Hey, you want a glass of milk?" He's going in to pour himself a glass of milk. They're reading the paper together. It, the whole thing is so unbelievable. It is like the yeah. best ad for like pre cell phone like living. You know, it just yeah. looked like yes. quite a time. Quite I a little neighborhood. I, I wish that I could spend my nights with a newspaper and a glass of uh, fucking skim milk instead of like scrolling Twitter. Exactly. Friends, milk and newspapers. That's all you need. Um, Correct. and, uh, you know, even if you're bringing in the big bucks, that's, that's really all you need a, a cold glass of milk. Um, right. but that whole, that whole part is unbelievable. I just love the way they're just sitting in the living room. Like he's got the gun in his waistband. I'm like, <laughs> he's got the gun in what his waistband. Go get the milk. <laughs> What a life. Oh my god. Life. Okay, so that was your number okay. that was your number five. And that, that was, was my number, my number three. five, your number three. So we're on our top twos now. What's your number two? Um, my number two is the insider. Nice. Not on my list. Okay. 
So The Insider is from 1999, and I'll be perfectly honest with you. There was about a seven or eight hour period after I watched this movie that I had it slotted in at number one on my list. This movie blows me away every time I see it. It's about um, basically a former like big tobacco executive um, named Jeffrey, played by Russell Crowe. Um, and his relationship with a, a TV producer for 60 Minutes, played by Al Pacino. And essentially, Al Pacino is trying to convince um, uh, Russell Crowe's character to tell his story, to tell what he learned on the inside of Big Tobacco's um, uh, dealings. He was an executive, but he's also a scientist. He's a doctor. So he's on the science side of the tobacco industry and you know had a really good understanding of how um, carcinogens worked. And what the purpose of cigarettes was, as they as they say in the movie, you know, is just a conduit to get people addicted to nicotine. Like that's all the cigarette was. They repeat it about 15 times throughout this movie. Um, ultimately, he does do the interview. It gets squashed, you know, by by the uh, big wigs at CBS who are, you know, not trying to um, basically ruffle too many feathers in big mm-hmm. business and get themselves mm-hmm. sued slash whatever and else they're afraid add of revenue and everything yes add revenue all of the above um and it's basically two guys with codes trying to you know expose this massive lie I, like that's mm-hmm. essentially the plot of the movie um it's very long it's like two hours and 40 minutes and we through the first half of this movie basically watch russell crowe's white or life unravel in the form of his wife leaving him, his kids um, being taken from him, um, basically losing all prospects at high-paying jobs. It is cool to see, you know, how much enjoyment he gets out of teaching kids. Uh, that that's always such a, you know, heartwarming moment. Um, those scenes that we get with him in the classroom. Um, and then on the other side, it's Al Pacino and Christopher Plummer who plays, you know, the the like highest-paid, longest-tenured um, journalist at 60 Minutes uh, at, at the time who conducts lots of the interviews, basically trying to see through this story and make sure that the story is told. Meanwhile, there's, like, legal ramifications because, you know, of course, uh, Russell Crowe's character is being sued by his former company, blah, blah, blah. We don't need to get into the plot mechanics too much. Um, this movie is just all about like the mental thrills like so many of michael mann's movies are like physical thrills Mm -hmm. robberies um you know huge heists big shootouts um uh, stakeouts things like that like the these physical happenings in the insider so much of this movie you know without being cliche happens inside Mm -hmm. it's a lot of watching russell crowe grapple with the fact that he can maybe do the right thing Maybe he's been doing the wrong thing for quite a while, and that's what got him into this specific situation, grappling with why he did the things that he did and then how he's going to move forward. Right. And, and watching that internal struggle is captivating. I mean, Russell Crowe in this movie absolutely, absolutely blows me away. Like, if this isn't an Oscar-level performance, I don't really know what is. Like, mm-hmm. I – and watching everything happen to this guy. And then Al Pacino, of course, is Al Pacino. He's great. He's actually way more reserved than I think a lot of people would give him credit for in this period of his career. Um, you know, he, he, he's kind of keeping it together. He's he's definitely the loudest one in lots of rooms, but it, it seems purposeful. It doesn't seem abstract yeah. in the way that it's some not, of the other It's not sent of a woman. It's not, exactly. it's, not even, it's not even heat, really. exactly like i watched it right after heat and i was thinking about that like heat which is an amazing performance that we'll talk about 
he he's going up for the sake of going up quite often because it mm. adds to the intrigue. In this movie, he's doing it when the story dictates he needs to right. go there. Um, it, which makes it a, a wonderful performance. And uh, you know, Christopher Plummer is is really good throughout, but his final I've been here fifty fucking years when he's delivering his uh his last little mini monologue to the CBS executive um is uh is a lot of fun. But this movie is just and it's beautiful too. I should mention, like this movie is very still, uh, more mm-hmm. often than Michael Mann movies are. Um, you're in houses with people. You're kind of on lawns. There's a lot of like people standing on lawns talking to other people. Um, it's it's very like home based, which which Mann's movies aren't always. Um, uh, you know, the, lots of Mann's movies are just out in the world. This movie a lot happens in the house, just with people kind of walking around, talking, living their life. But right. I've I've gone on too long. I, I just I no, that's really amazing. Love. It's your it's your number two and almost your number one, so you deserve to go on for a long. I think Carell's performance is pretty interesting in Mann's filmography because I don't think mm-hmm. there's a lot of characters have that internal struggle arc to the extent that he does. I think that yeah. some guys like, um, uh. You know, like you could say that Jamie Foxx and Collateral has an internal struggle, but it's his hand is more forced. It's because he has Tom Cruise with a gun in his backseat, you right. know, whereas Russell Crowe was like, hey, do I go out and do this? Do I go out and yeah. do the right thing? Do I do I make that decision within myself? Am I going right. to internally motivate myself to do the right thing versus uh, something a little more external? So um, I, I, I did not have this on my list. It very could be. I mean, is The Insider a better movie than Miami Vice? Yes. Um <laughs> I intentionally kind of kept everything in the same vein. No, for my I list. It's, it's all kind of a piece. Um, but the insider is great. And honestly, if I rewatched it, like a little bit removed from something like Mammy Vice, I'd be like, all right, what am I doing? Um, but listen, yeah, it's one of his more standalone movie. Like it definitely can stand alone in my opinion, more than some of the other, um, man movies. It, and it has a lot of those same, uh, kind of tropes that we were talking about. There's a lot of that, like in and out of focus thing. The ocean plays a big part in this movie for kind of no reason. Like multiple times, characters are literally just standing on a lawn, looking out at the ocean for like minutes, basically, um, contemplating you know their life and uh, and the moves they're gonna make. Um, but also, there's a few characters in this movie, specifically um, Jeffrey uh, Russell Crowe, who is not in on the moves being made. And and has a code, but doesn't have this master plan to go about, like, following through on that code. And it's really cool. Like, often in this movie, Russell Crowe is asking Al Pacino's character, like, what do I do? Like, what would you do if you were me? Or, like, how do I make this decision? And, of course, ultimately, he's the one who has to make the decision. And he's the one who sticks by his code, which, of course, he does. But the fact that he doesn't have it from the get-go is kind of a departure from some of these other characters that we're talking about who are so regimented in what they know they need and have to do. He's kind of like having to make decisions on the fly based on intuition more than, you know, years and years of planning in a prison cell, for example, which, you know, four or five of man's um, main characters do. But that that just always kind of struck me as, as interesting as a departure for um, man. I agree. I agree completely. It's a it's a fantastic film. Um, we have two movies left to talk about. If I've done my math correctly, my yes. number two, yeah, my number two is the movie Heat. Whoa. Okay. Which All right. That's I believe my is one. your number one. It is. It's uh, probably not the biggest shock there for you. I mean, it's the the more of a shock is uh, put us in number two. Um, I love it though. 
So what here's the deal. I've got a, I've got a lot of new and original takes on Heat. You know, I've got some uh, some deep lore that no one's ever really brought to the table. Uh, no, I mean it's it's Heat, right? Um, I mean, I I think that on my most recent watch, I was just very taken by the life that Neil leads. Um, the pre- I mean, he talks half of his dialogue is about how he lives his life in a practice, in a discipline, in a focus, and I and in a study. He is a educated man. He may have spent a lot of time in prison. But he's probably smarter than most college graduates. He's smarter mm-hmm. than like master students because he's applied himself, you know, um, like I would like to be able to read books about metals at diners, which like I mm-hmm. I do that sometimes, but I don't feel cool when I do it. Like me reading Macbeth at the fucking uh, the Barnes and Noble Starbucks right down the street in a mall doesn't feel sexy and mysterious in the way that De Niro reading a book about metals at some restaurant next to the girl who works at the bookstore feels yeah. sexy and mysterious. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm not doing it in a suit. Maybe that's my problem. I don't know. Yeah. But like I, Big I suits. genuinely do. Yeah. I need, I need suits. Um, like I find his life weirdly alluring, like not mm-hmm. necessarily the true, um, like the, I guess the money-making uh, procedures that he's going through and his, his ill-gotten gains is not something I aspire to, but just the, everything else about it and how he does it is, I think, so compelling and just a a fun case study for how someone can have a worldview and and mm-hmm. live their and live an entire life. I mean, whether since it was it was clearly shaped by some childhood trauma and time in prison, and I've got one of those too, so maybe I can maybe I can get somewhere with that. Uh, but yeah, Neil, one of the just one of the coolest guys, fucking De Niro, man, Robert fucking De Niro. Should Absolutely. Robert De Niro have been in The Insider? I. He might as well have been. Why couldn't yeah. he have been in The Insider? He he carries the gravitas that the movie had. That movie is no frills. And um, exactly. and uh, Robert De Niro is no frills. Uh, he could have easily fit. Neil has zero frills. I don't I don't think he has a he has, he has not a one, not even a, a Ottoman. Even the way he he wraps the uh, the uh, glass of water in a uh, in um, yes in his you know his girl's room when he's leaving mm-hmm. is like a precise like thought out piece or, or like uh, a way of doing it it's everything is very planned um and yeah i i mean why do you lady why do you care so much about what i read and what i do like he has some of the best lines in this whole movie and that's in a movie with al pacino going like balls to the wall 100 out of 100 get killed walking your doggy walking your doggy <laughs> He doesn't even seem to be speaking to people in this movie. (laughs) What are you saying? He doesn't even seem to be, like, talking to the other characters in this movie. He's just kind of saying lines at the time that he's supposed to be saying lines based on when other people talked. It's so great. And and part of that is his – the character that he's playing. His character is constantly being talked to by some people and then responding to others. Like in the scene um, in the, like, scrapyard – uh, you know, he's talking to his informant, but he's constantly like addressing his partner talking about his informant who's sitting in front of him and not mm-hmm. reacting to the things that are being said to his character. It's just a really interesting and I I'm sure half of it is in the script and half of it is kind of, you know, Pacino um, uh, going off the rails a little bit and coming up with mm-hmm. his own ideas, but it works perfectly. Yeah, it really does. I mean, this is number one on your list. We we yeah. have done uh half of a podcast already about it with a versus we talked about it on the podcast with the town and departed do you have anything else that you just like have to get off your chest 
Please do. I would love like if you want to just go crazy for ten more minutes on heat. I will. No, you know, beat your I, I, I honestly don't need to. Like everything about this. This is another one. People are moving so fast in relationships in this movie, and this has some of his. You're right in that Thief is probably his most romantic movie because of the part of the way. Part of it is just how it looks. It looks so romantic and stuff. Mm-hmm. This movie is incredibly romantic in some of the downsides of romance, like mm-hmm. those conversations that um, that Al Pacino has in his house with um, both his his stepdaughter as well as um, uh, why am I blanking on? Um, the name of uh not amy brenneman's Edie, who oh, is uh actually, oh diane diane venora right it's just no not no no yeah yeah diane venora and pacino's conversations like it is really heartbreaking to watch those who you can tell the passion that they have for each other but to watch them kind of break apart because of the um impossibility really of somebody like him maintaining a steady relationship is pretty heartbreaking like when he goes to pick her up from that uh that you know whatever policeman's event that they're, that they're at there dancing um, mm-hmm. when he kind of has to come back and, uh, and explain to her why he'd been away for so long and, and really kind of have a coming to Jesus really of, of like whether he can even care about other people in his life. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's kind of like lots of that man stuff that we're talking about, creating a plan, following a code kind of coming to a head where it's like, mm-hmm. if it's really affecting other people in this way, it's just not possible. And the same thing kind of happens with Neil, you know, and Edie. Um, ultimately, it wasn't possible to be the person that he was and and maintain any sort of like semblance of of a real life, like real relationship. It just wasn't going to work. And it, it was up to the plot to get to that point. But right. I think it was kind of like a foregone conclusion that it, it, it couldn't work. But I just find it fascinating that how expertly it's pulled off and how invested we are in both of these people. Like you were mm-hmm. watching them in that chase at the end, 100% rooting for both of them. Yes. Yes. That's, that is such an achievement Yeah. in that, like you see Pacino come around the corner and you're like, yeah. And then you see De Niro in the shower. And you're like, no. Yeah. And you're like, oh man, it's, exactly. I, I think it's a beautiful ending. Um, I love just that they're hand in hand, you know? Yeah. It's amazing. On Do you think runway. Neil pulled up a little bit? What do you mean? He comes like, around the corner first. Why? Like, how, how did he not get a shot off? You think he something flashed across his mind? I don't know. I just it just oh. seemed like he would have the jump on like Pacino in that instance because he's the one hiding. Pacino's, you know, it's not like he like specifically sees a shadow and knows exactly where he is and knows when he's mm-hmm. going to come around. Like, you well, know. isn't there like isn't there like a flash of a light or something that Pacino uses? So the flash of light happens when De Niro comes out, okay. isn't it? Right? Like right as he's coming out, the light flashes and Pacino sees him like coming out or does he see him before he makes the move? So, okay. Pacino sees his shadow from the flash of light. Okay. So that's how he knows where he is and that's how he's able to bring his gun up, I guess, a, a half second quicker. Okay. Okay. I think that's I, like as I'm replaying it in my mind now, that's that's how it went down. So I know there's the flash of light. I maybe maybe I'm off by a half second. I thought like it was like clear like he saw where he was, but I thought De Niro was kind of already making his move. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Doesn't really I, matter. You know, it, game it's of inches, to, you know? Yeah, game of inches, that's true. See the heat come around the corner. But, it um, literally did come around the corner. He did. Greatest movie of all time, number two on my list. Um, Sounds good. <laughs> so my number one, number one. 
uh, my number one is collateral. Fucking nice. collateral. So okay, premise Tom of collateral. Guy. What? The Tom Cruise, your guy. My boy. My boy. I'm so excited. I I already have my eyes wide shut rewatch planned for around yes. Christmas time, and I'm just, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna be locked in because there's a time where I'll have the house to myself and I will be, I'll, I'll go to a place. Um, premise of collateral. All right, this movie. Regular Joe driving a taxi cab, listens to nice piano suites in his car, lives under the illusion he's going to make it big one day, comes upon this silver-bearded fox type, gives him cold hard cash to drive around, only to realize that man is murdering a slew of shady folks around L.A., which is not to mention all these folks are connected to said regular Joe's previous passenger, who is said hitman's final target. Mm -hmm. That is a laughable premise. That is a joke. (laughs) And it's the best Michael Mann movie. Um... It's digital camera paradise. So this is the first one. I think in Ollie, he did a little bit of digital camera, if I have my mm-hmm. research correct. Um, but it is whooshing and swirling. It's like a weird blur that comes on sometimes. It's like slow motion digital camera blur with Tom Cruise in the airport in the very beginning. You're like, okay, this is different. Something has happened here. Something has changed. Um, and you have these gorgeous L.A. night skies. Because he he explains that like you can't shoot at night and film. And like... I don't know. I don't know the technicality of it all, but that's apparently you can only get movies to look this good if you shoot digital. And holy fuck, it looks it it looks amazing. Um, when he zooms in on that coyote, right? Yeah. I, I don't actually know if that coyote was like I don't know if that was in the script. <laughs> I don't know what the plan was. If like that coyote was supposed to lead into that audio slave needle drop, um, as Cruz stares at it and like makes a mental connection with the coyote because he has the killer. I don't know. But it's it's jaw dropping mm-hmm. every time I watch it. Um, I think there's a lot of things that Michael Mann has done that are aimed at dads and dad types, and that might be the the, the cream of the crop. With when that guitar comes on, and you hear that once upon a time. <laughs> uh, I just think that what you have with Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx in this movie is you have the mono e mono Michael Mann experience, mm-hmm. which is where two dudes who have some sort of purpose in life are talking about their purposes and they're talking about how they got to where they got and where they're going to go and why they made those choices. It's a transformative experience and it's the entire movie. You're Mm -hmm. taking the diner sequence from heat. You're taking the Bill Pete, Brian Cox scene in Manhunter and you're making that two hours, you know, and that's a little bit, I'm being a little pejorative because obviously it doesn't have the, the, intensity i guess of those moments or the dilution but it it spreads it out and it doesn't ever feel like it grows dull Mm -hmm. their conversations are so wide-ranging and like at one point cruz is like hey are you gonna ask her out you should ask her out we're done with this knowing full well he's probably gonna kill him when he's done with this like he's not letting like that's the that's the sinister of it all is tom cruise is not letting jamie fox walk away right from this um when it's all over but he's still like you should you should ask her out and he's still gonna like ask him about jazz and like like, like, have conversation. Like, he's going to explain the principles of jazz music, knowing for well he's about to kill the trumpet player, no matter mm. what he says. Like, yeah. again, this is he cruises like a good lion's movie because he tells the trumpet player, he's like, "If you get this question right, I'll let you live." And it's like, "No, you won't." Right. You were, you were going to kill him anyway. Um, but it just it it grows. It never grows stale. Um, it it's incredible to see how Fox molds himself in a very short amount of time to vincent's character especially when he gets to meet javier bardem in the club yes he's like you should tell that guy behind me to put that gun down before i beat his bitch ass to death with it and you're like oh my god 
Yeah. Who is this guy? Like Where's you this guy been for the past hour ten? You know? Yeah. But he's 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 learned, you know, and he's he's grown so quickly and he's come to understand. Uh and it yeah, it's obviously unrealistic and stupid that he could obviously like he could he could jump to this level of conversation and like hold his own like that, but it's it, it doesn't matter because it looks good and it sounds good. Um and I think I think what really sums it up, um, I think you could argue, and I think I will argue, the final line that Vincent has before he gets shot, um, he says he's in, he's he's on the blue line. Mm-hmm. He's got his gun, and the lights are flickering. He goes, Max, I do this for a living. And then somehow Jamie Fox kills him. I don't don't ask me how because that that doesn't make any sense either. But that is that line is such a good summation of like man's artistry and his purpose in the movie making world i think it's all about what you do for a living it's all about what michael mm-hmm. mann does for a living as a filmmaker and it's all about what his characters do how do they yeah. make their living why do they do it what is their what is their code and it's about work and labor and you could even i think with both collateral i think thief is maybe the biggest example of this but like how you make money in this america yeah and in, in, in a very in a late capitalist society I think the way that Cruz is talking about, you know, a guy dies on the blue line, rides the train for however long nobody sees him until the morning. And of course, that becomes his destiny. Yeah. It's like this is this is about something more right here. And I just that line, I think. So I watched Colada for the first time ever this summer. And when that line hit me, I was like, all right, that's it. That's the one like that. Mm -hmm. That is everything Michael Mann has done in his 12 or 13 movies distilled into like seven words um i think the delivery is amazing i think um just just to find something like that is just such a rare gem so uh and that's that's i haven't even talked about mark ruffalo uh with his accent and his haircut like what are you doing and it's so but it's amazing (laughs) i literally like had my roommates come in like i i showed them like from when he shows up at the the first kill the first crime scene and like they didn't recognize him at all, even when he started talking because of that actually <laughs> speaking in Spanish person, like who's that? Right. It was Mark Ruffalo. It's 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 unrecognizable. It's amazing. Um the the bar demo of it all too is the Santa Claus. Yeah. Thing is God, I, I just I really think collateral is just a, a singular like crowning achievement. Yeah. I, you summed it up beautifully. This movie is is incredible. And I think you know, the, the Cruz Fox dynamic and specifically what Cruz is doing in this movie is obviously incredibly noticeable and recognizable. And even Cruz himself is wearing this ridiculous gray hair that even in the world of the movie seems like it would be clearly fake and like sprayed on. But this movie is made incredible by like the people and the ideas that like populate the edges of it, like the Ruffalo's like the Bardem's it's like, there is not a single time Jada Pinkett Smith. There's not a single time that somebody either gets in the cab or you go meet somebody or it flashes away to the cops. You know, the a worst version of this movie just don't really care about the cops and the cops are mm-hmm. just there to provide an intrigue, right? There has to be, there has to be a chase. Like there has yeah. to be somebody chasing our, main characters in order to add to the intrigue and have it not just be a game of like stopping at destinations. Like there has to be an element of, you know, speed to it and um, thrills, but even the cops are incredible. Like there's a whole movie just about Ruffalo's character that I would be very interested in watching and not even see what Cruz is doing on screen. 
and just be following Ruffalo's character, and you could get like a a you know Manhunter Seven style movie, you know, in itself, uh, taking place in one night as well. So I, this movie is incredible. That final scene about or the the final um uh um like the confrontation the, moment, the gunfight yeah the gunfight leading to crews sitting down and like do you think they'll notice uh, you know a dying yeah. guy in a train um coming full circle again in another filmmaker's hands that probably comes across as so hokey cuz it's like of course that's why he told the story at the beginning this random story you know about a guy dying on the but it's amazing because we've grown so attached to these people um and I think part of the magic of that is like, without saying murder is okay, Michael Mann states the case that, like, there's a reason people take the jobs that they do, and that it's not 100% an immediate write off to have somebody's like job be something that's repugnant and and vile and obviously morally wrong. You know, it's like because he doesn't hit you over the head with that early on and be like, this is the worst guy ever. Never trust him. All that. Like he he does that in a way throughout the movie, but he lets you reach that conclusion so that you can still become emotionally attached to the situation and kind of like transfer Cruz's emotions to yourself at the end of the movie. I think it's it's really genius the way he does that. Similar to like you're saying at the end of Heat, you know, genius a, being able to create like two characters with almost competing um um like rooting interests even though mm-hmm. one is like clearly worse quote unquote worse than the other when it comes right. to like human morals um but yeah j- yeah this movie is amazing and it looks wild like this yeah. whole movie glimmers it really like, does everything is like shimmery it's even when they're driving on the street, obviously, man is famous for, you know, keeping streets very wet and things like that. Um, so even when you're not noticing it, I think there's always like that little tinge of like glistening, almost like crystals coming up from the yeah. bottom of the screen. Mm-hmm. And like the glasses, Jamie Foxx's glasses are constantly like glistening mm-hmm. with light as they pass street lights and stuff. It's it's really amazing. It's it's unbelievably beautiful. Um, we haven't even talked about the club scene. Yeah, where Tom Cruise goes sicko mode. Yeah, um, and it's just like stomping dudes out, breaking necks, uh, just just murking. He's doing the the double tap to the sternum and one to the head uh, again, which is great. That's great in the briefcase scene too. Yo, homie, is that my briefcase? Yeah. Um, Oh my god, that might be the best scene. That scene is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Even just the lead up, how funny it is. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's hilarious! Fox, it's like so... calling out, and the guys coming up and making fun of him, and he's just like... yeah, and they just steal his wallet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's that's a great way they make Fox look a little bit more pathetic before he you know gets to because and he's like, oh, oh, guess what? New news. Yeah, I love, I love the new how he flips the new news thing too. Yeah, he's like, yeah, that's great. Um, and then I think I had one more thing I wanted to say about the movie. Um, I mean, again, just with. The uh, the audio slave of it all. There are so many amazing Michael Mann needle drops. Uh, you've got Numb Encore to lead off yes. Miami Vice, which is cold intro. One of the more batshit, ludicrous, insane things I've ever seen in my life. And I love it. I, I think it's just spectacular. So he, he really, I don't know if his music taste is like bad or good. Um. But I, it works, you know. His sense of sound is incredible. Yeah, 
whether that translates to perfect music choices all the time, eh, right. it can be debated. Yeah. But how something is supposed to sound or what sounds will be like, you know, it's like the like, I don't know, but it's provocative. You know, like his uh, everything yeah, yeah. that he puts in is very provocative in that like it always elicits some type of like uh like response. Exactly. No, and it's it, it I think that response is pretty uh ranging depending on the person you are and your uh, yeah. sensibilities for the the Lincoln Park of it all. Um okay, that's our top five. And I do have I do want to run through Jed has yeah. texted me with his top five. So I'm gonna go down five to one and then we'll go through ours. Jed has Thief five. No, actually he has sorry, I apologize. Jed has Manhunter five, Last of the Mohicans four. We did not talk about it, but great movie. Yeah. Um Collateral three, Heat two, The Insider one. Oh, Jed did what you could not do. He did. Wow, I was the only one who put Heat one. That's that's interesting. Maybe the biggest shock of it all. Um, okay, that's a good so five. I have that's a good that's a really good list. I wish we had. I wish we would have had him on a talk class the Mohicans, but I have um, I have Miami Vice five, Manhunter four, Thief three, Heat two, and Collateral one. All right, and I had. Thief 5, Collateral 4, Manhunter 3, The Insider 2, and Heat at 1. God damn. Has Michael Mann made a bad movie? I'm going to say no. I don't care. I have not seen The Keep because I'm holding out hope that one day we'll get the director's cut because I've heard that's pretty special. And I've heard that the uh, version that was released is is not the one. So I'm, I have not watched it. But all the rest, I have not seen a bad movie of his. I think The Keep is is okay. Um it, definitely not bad. I, we don't have to get into it right now. I, I am not a fan of Public Enemies, uh, almost at all. But um, I think Public Enemies rips. The action set pieces are incredible. It mm-hmm. it, it it looks and sounds incredible. I, I don't. There's. I just have some issues with that movie. You need to litigate like accents. Is that the deal? Is Christian Bale's like weird Oklahoma shit? No, I love what Christian Bale's doing. I, I don't like Johnny Depp in the movie very much. Man. Um, and I, it just, Michael Mann makes two beautiful movies to make a movie in the Depression. It just doesn't look like the Depression at all. It's just such mm. a weird That's digital, fair. it's just such a weird movie to have that specific digital affect on it. Um, and I don't know. It, it, and then the plot kind of gets me. There's just a lot of like the things plot, happen yeah. very quickly, but it also is two hours, 40 minutes, like for kind of no reason. I don't know. I the, the plot is messy. I just I love the imagery of dudes like riding outside of vehicles with Tommy guns. That's true. Lots that's of just, that stuff is awesome. Like the yeah. like, yeah, the the bank scenes are amazing. Yes. Like when they're when they the baby face when when he just fucking smokes that first dude outside of the outside of the bank he's like I got one like that stuff is amazing <laughs> that's a good that's a good baby face that was good <laughs> yeah Stephen Nelson's great in that movie um, yeah all right so let's go to I think we are gonna do this we have not done the top or a uh, uh, hot take corner in a hot minute quite literally um we have done. Not many top fives lately, so we are going to do a hot take corner. So we are going to cue that fire. All right. For a hot take corner, we are both going to get into the ring on opposite corners, and we are going to fight for our what we believe is the best performance in a Michael Mann film, uh, whether that is a leading role or a, a side role or a one-off scene, whatever whatever you want it to be. Um we're gonna we're gonna fight for what the best performance is. Evan, I want you to go first because you okay. came up with this idea, so I'm putting you on the spot. 
Yeah, so it's funny because I said there's no wishy-washy between you know two or anything like that. Now I'm like going back and forth in my head, but mm-hmm. I'm gonna stick with my original. Uh, it's Russell Crowe in The Insider. Wow. I am so blown away by this performance. It is so heart wrenching watching this guy. Really, you're watching at the same time that he's um, you know pulling off essentially like this heroic act. It's also like an incredible fall from grace. Like he starts this movie in the driver's seat. He's the mm-hmm. one saying, I'm not going to meet you. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. When he shows up to first meet Al Pacino, um, he kind of has this steely gaze and he's like, give me the papers. I'll, sure, I'll look over them. That's it. I'll contact you. All that. And then by the way, you're about halfway into the movie. He's like a scared little kid. And he's like stumbling down his lawn, uh, you know, to, to get to um, – um, to chase after some people that he thought were basically after him at his house and like very confused and, and coming into his house and not knowing that people have put armed guards inside his own home. He doesn't even know what's going on inside his own house halfway through this movie. Um, after being like this super respected, you know, scientist who's become an executive and, and just watching that transformation happen with him um, and his character grapple with that and then the emotional payoff of the movie being this his his children silently watching or the scene plays out silently watching him finally get his like moment in the sun um, doing the right thing on TV is like it's like almost impossible for me not to cry watching that scene because mm. we've seen what has happened to this man and it's not just the plot that does that it is Russell Crowe and and Russell Crowe's ability to at one time be like he's a big physically big man like this this like kind of hulking present present that gets turned into this like beat down hollowed out shell uh right. through, through the process of following a code and trying to do the right thing um and just i can't get enough of it and when he leaves this movie you, you know at a certain point there's like when he basically leaves this movie there's like another 35 minutes left and you're just kind of like, God, can we can we go back to Russell Crowe? Like, can we get a little mm-hmm. bit more Russell Crowe in here? Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm blown away by it. That's that's a good answer. That's a good answer. It's the wrong answer. Okay. Um, it is. Uh, I, I stepped on a little bit because I had my whole, like, trifecta metaphor prepared for Thief. Uh, it's Jimmy Conn. Okay. It's, uh, it's Frank. It is the height of his powers, James Conn. Yeah. Um, so motivated and just so incredibly locked in i think michael Mann gets a lot of locked in performances to you know varying degrees of of height and up and down high and low i think that the locked in of james con though is just so is just so singular and it's just i think it's just brilliant he's so expressive and he's so like determined and gritty he's not afraid to like he'll get his hands dirty if he needs to yeah. But like just his hands because, you know, he's got a fancy coat on. Yeah. So like he'll just he'll just do enough to get get the hands dirty there. No one holds a gun like James Conn does. No one operates like heavy machinery from automobiles to drills to to uh, rotary telephones. Like everything that he touches in this movie, there is like a like from from both physical objects to <laughs> to Jesse. Um, mm-hmm. everything that he literally lays hands on becomes his and just like becomes an extension of his performance and the way that he uses and interacts with his environment. Um, you know, it's a cliche, but it feels like he was almost born to play this character. 
just this 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 brash but vulnerable when he needs to like weirdly a, a big heart like he wants he really wants a kid he really wants to adopt yeah. a kid and like show him love and he's like there are kids in this system and he's like freaking yeah. out on the on the lady or whatever and it's like oh it's because like i was state raised yeah yeah That's- He's he's got like love to give weirdly, yeah. um, along with along with uh, along with bullets to pass on. Um, he's like, I don't know of another movie character like his, and I think that every yeah. movie character that has tried to be like his is just so derivative. And I just think it makes every other like kind of loner, mm-hmm. uh, uh, lone wolf but determined dude in a movie like this just it just doesn't work and i'm thinking of one movie in particular but we're, we're not gonna we're not gonna litigate that here um it's 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 gotta be james Conn for me it's a great point james Conn, no, look, the, way, the way that he can like chuck diamonds like he's like yeah flipping through and he's like these are wrong these are wrong these are yeah. wrong throwing them behind his back whatever don't even care they they mean nothing to him because he is so focused yeah it's great. I love when they do that. There, there, there's no reason either. Like all it does is take up time. They're on this this quick watch, but anything that they find that's not worth having, they literally like fucking throw it all the way like across the room. There's no just like discard it to the side. Like yeah, it it's a perfect microcosm of who James Conn is. It's a it's all there on the sleeve, like yes. it, it's all there to be seen. And you're right. Like it is so vulnerable in a way that like something that we don't see in movies now almost at all like there are the introspective type characters but it's like they're they're working at being introspective and stuff he's just like here's all of it like he's uh, not an actor who wants to leave things to the imagination exactly exactly and that goes back to like him delivering those lines perfectly too like he is saying each word with a purpose and it's Mm -hmm. like, I want you to hear what I have to say. And it's like a desperation almost that he has throughout this whole movie. It's like, I mean, he's about to cry in half of the scenes that he's in. It seems it's hard to tell whether he's going to fly into a rage or cry, but like, yeah, like when Willie Nelson dies. Yeah, dude, that scene is intense. Like you don't even, I've seen this movie now three times each time. I'm like, not exactly. I can't remember exactly what he does in it. Cause I'm just like, is he about to like punch this doctor in the face? Like, is he like, what is he do? like? Why does he look like that? Um, but he, he just wears it all on the sleeve. The, the, the chemistry that he has in Willie Nelson is also just wild. Yeah. They are so close to the glass when they're talking in that scene in, in prison. Yeah. He is. They are yeah. up close and personal. Yeah. There's, um, I think you could find a thread of homoeroticism that runs through Michael Mann's movies. Like, especially like, like the diner scene between yeah. Pacino and De Niro and Heat. Man told them, look at each other like you're in love. They look if like they're flirting. Put, if, yeah, yeah. If you put like a little rom-com sexy soundtrack over that, yeah. you'd believe it. Yeah. Just like one half smile from De Niro and it would have been like a rom-com. Yeah. It's like, oh, these guys, these guys got something. But uh, there, there were a lot of like, it's funny to, to contrast that with Thief because in Thief, um, uh, James Conn and Willie Nelson never break eye contact like one time. They are staring into each other's souls. Yes. In heat, it's almost like what we have between us is so intense that we kind of have to look away every once in a while. And I know they're doing the thing like they're kind of casing out the joint, like especially, mm-hmm. you know, Pacino's really like looking around to like see what's going on around them. But yes. like – But you could read it like they're blushing. <laughs> exactly. Like it kind of almost seems like Pacino's like – like when De Niro gives them there's another side to that coin and stuff, Pacino kind of like looks around and it's like – 
it's like he's recognizing like, woo, like we really got something here. You know, like we yeah. really like we've reached such an understanding, such a respect that it's almost like like you're saying, it's almost at like a romantic level at this point. We need to like break this for a second in order to right. keep our uh, composure. I agree. I agree. But great choice. Uh, James Con. he'd probably be like, I mean, he'd probably be be second just for some of those line readings alone. I mean, mm-hmm. let's get on with this big romance like that. That's, that's how I live my life, you know. Un- unreal it's amazing yeah and he's like can you when the creamer is like bad and he's like yelling at the waiter yeah yeah it's so funny and uh his his kind of like him waxing poetic a little bit about like being independent when prosky first tries to like kind of recruit him Mm -hmm. it's like i work for me like yeah like that whole thing is really funny he's like yeah laying out uh He's trying to fucking seize the means of production. Exactly. Later, he's like, the the money in your pocket is from my labor. Yeah. He's like, join a union. He's like, I have a union. It's in my pocket. And he's like, oh, you're going to shoot him. And he eventually does. Labor. The way he says labor is so great. Yes. It's very good. Socialist socialist king. Um, That's Michael Mann. That's our top five. Evan, do you have any final thoughts? I think I will say, you know what my hardest out for my top five was? What's that? Was Black Hat. I fully expected you to have Black Hat on here, and I was going to be very so excited good. to hear what you had to say. Uh, we may have so to talk good. about that off off air. I'm interested to hear what you think about uh, about Black Hat. Um, Listen, we're we're in the computers, man. Yeah, the computers are in us. It they are. He is deep inside the computers of Black Hat. Um, that's probably the best part of the movie. Actually, is when when we're in the computers. Um, my my hardest one was Last of the Mohicans. True. We didn't really yeah. talk. Daniel Day Lewis is fucking we. We just went through this whole pod, and Daniel Day-Lewis gave one of his best performances in a Michael Mann movie. It, one of the, what, five five best actors of all time, and, like, we didn't even get to mention it, but we he's may, amazing. I think we may need yeah. to do a solo pod on Last of the Mohicans, because I think Jed's pretty passionate about it, too. We, he's amazing, and Wes Studi is, like, out of all the scary, you know, quote-unquote bad guys in Mann movies, Wes Studi is up there as Magua mm-hmm. in, uh, in Last of the Mohicans. He is horrifying and literally rips people's hearts out of their chest. Exactly. It's, it's, my, it's my personal favorite, ripping hearts out of chest movies. It did take that title from Temple of Doom. So, Yeah, I agree. All right. And, yeah, Mel Gibson has been canceled, so Apocalypto's out. <laughs> this, is, this is true. That, that, that's, I'm, glad we, I'm glad we raised that point at the end here. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening, guys. Please feel free to follow us on all the normal social media platforms. We're looking towards the new year, so you know we'll have end of year lists coming. We will have, um, you know, retrospectives and looking ahead, more to come. But in yep. the spirit of the season, next week we will be doing a classic. We're going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about the movie Elf. We're yes. going to talk about Will Ferrell's turn as Buddy the Elf. Um, one of the great Christmas movies ever. One of the great comedies ever. Honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, again, this, it, it's like the heat conversation. Are we going to bring anything new to the elf conversation? Maybe so. Maybe I'm going to come back with a reading about it that no one else has seen. Probably not. We're probably just going to have fun with it. But thank you for listening. Evan, any final thoughts to send us off? Respect Michael Mann. Watch yes. his films. Yes. We, uh, I had a great time. That's it. Yes. I agree. Respect the, the artist. For flicking and screaming, I'm JT Chipman, Evan Fagundis. Have a good night, y'all. See ya.